On September 30th, 1991, a new talk show called The Jerry Springer Show premiered on television. Within a couple of years, it was a national hit. And despite a fair amount of controversy, it continued to remain popular for the remainder of its 28-year run. And if you're familiar at all with this show, then you'll know that Jerry Springer drew its audience by finding the most dysfunctional and badly behaved people that it could, and then broadcasting their tragedy and the drama of their lives for everyone to watch. And like I said, it worked. In fact, it worked so well that other shows followed a similar formula. Today, Jerry Springer is off the air, but we still have a wide variety of reality shows that seek to attract an audience by putting on display a whole host of human tragedies, from addiction to family dysfunction to arrogant and abusive personalities. And no matter how many of these shows there are, it seems that there's always room for one more. Why is that, do you think? Why do people watch these shows? Why are we drawn to these tragic spectacles of human dysfunction? Well, I've never done any research on that question, but I do have my own private theory. I think that one of the main reasons that we like to watch these shows is because when we watch them and see the tragedy of other people's lives, it makes us feel a little better about ourselves. After all, you may not have the best marriage, but when you watch a show like Jerry Springer, all of a sudden you don't seem to be doing so bad. It's also why social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook are so often filled with words of anger and criticism and moral outrage. Because once again, if, if you can find someone who's worse than you, at least in your own eyes, then you can feel pretty good about yourself. Unfortunately, the Lord's Prayer doesn't allow us to entertain those feelings of moral superiority. You can't pray the Lord's Prayer honestly and think that you're a pretty good person. Because every time you pray it, you must ask for forgiveness and so admit that you are a sinner who needs forgiveness. In fact, that's one of the primary purposes of this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, to remind us that we aren't nearly as good as we like to think. To quote the ancient church father, St. Cyprian, lest anyone should flatter himself that he is innocent and by exalting himself should more deeply perish, he is instructed and taught that he sins daily in that he is bidden to entreat daily for his sins. The first thing that you'll probably notice about this petition is that it's often translated with different words. Sometimes people pray, forgive us our trespasses. Sometimes it's forgive us our debts, and still other times it's forgive us our sins. So which is it? Trespasses, debts, or sins? Well, all three are actually legitimate translations. In the Gospel of Luke, the word is sins, and in the Gospel of Matthew, it's debts. But if you look at the very end of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew, 
when Jesus goes on to talk about forgiving others and being forgiven, then he actually uses the word trespasses. Each of these words are legitimate, but they all three carry slightly different connotations. Take the word trespasses, for instance. A trespass is a violation of a moral law or command. When Adam and Eve ate of that tree in the garden that God forbade them from eating, they were breaking a moral command. They were trespassing. In the same way, you and I commit trespasses. We break God's laws. We violate His commands. We commit wrongs. We trespass. And Jesus also uses the word debts. And that's a word that we're more familiar with. We know all about debts. Debts are something you owe, something that must be paid off before your debt can be discharged. And if you can't afford to pay off a debt, well, that can be crippling. And the Bible uses the metaphor of debt very frequently to talk about sin. In fact, in a very extensive study of the history of sin, the scholar Gary Anderson discovered that debt is actually the primary metaphor for sin in the Bible. So we have committed trespasses and we have accumulated debts, neither of which we can discharge. And then finally, there's that third word, sin. Now, sin is the most religious sounding of these three words. And there's a good reason for that. Because when the Bible talks about sin, it isn't just referring to wrongdoing. It's referring to actions and attitudes that are specifically wrongs committed against God himself. Sin is always sin against something, and most fundamentally, it's against God. To quote the psalmist in Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So we Christians, we're not as good as we'd like to think we are. We are, as one writer says, a league of the guilty. We have broken commands and violated laws. We have accumulated debts that we cannot pay. And we have sinned against one another, but above all, against our Creator. And so we ask for forgiveness, for God to release us from our debt and remove our guilt. And it's important to remember that what we're asking for doesn't come cheaply. Because when we don't remember that, it's easy to start taking this forgiveness for granted. In 1856, on his deathbed, there was a German poet and journalist named Heinrich Hein, and he uttered some very famous last words. Of course God will forgive me, he said. That's his job. You got to give Heinrich Hein some respect. That's a pretty shockingly presumptuous thing to say to the Almighty. But if we're honest, sometimes that's exactly how we ourselves approach God when we ask for forgiveness. We are presumptuous. Of course God will forgive us, we think. Why shouldn't he? As the great preacher John Stott once said, the kind of God who appeals to most people today would be easygoing in his tolerance of our offenses. He would be gentle, kind, accommodating, and would have no violent reactions. 
Unhappily, even in the church, we seem to have lost the vision of the majesty of God. There is much shallowness and levity among us. It is more characteristic of us to clap our hands with joy than to blush with shame or tears. We saunter up to God to claim His patronage and friendship. It does not occur to us that He might send us away. Of course, John Stott wasn't suggesting that we ought to doubt whether or not God will forgive us. To the contrary, the Bible clearly promises in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And Stott, the preacher, would wholeheartedly affirm that promise. But what he's describing is it's our casual and often flippant attitude toward forgiveness. We saunter up to God, as he puts it, expecting Him to simply overlook our debts and trespasses and sins because, like Heinrich Hein, because we don't really think they're that serious. But the forgiveness that we pray for isn't cheap or trivial. We're not merely asking for God to overlook our offenses or just pretend that they don't matter. No, what we're asking for is much greater than that. We are asking for Him to remove the burden of the debts that we bear by paying the cost Himself. And that's exactly what He did. The reason that we can ask God to forgive our sins and that we can ask this with confidence is because we know He has already paid the ultimate price for those sins in the death of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is costly, but Jesus paid the cost. And so we can take our sins seriously and still ask for forgiveness with confidence. So we can pray as the Anglican Book of Common Prayer has it. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker and judge of us all, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and offenses we are deeply sorry for these our transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past. Uh, of course, this petition of the Lord's Prayer is not just a request for forgiveness. We don't just pray, forgive us our sins. To that we add, as we forgive those who sin against us. And this clause has caused a lot of difficulty for some Christians because it sounds as if Jesus is attaching a condition to God's forgiveness, especially if you read what he says in Matthew's gospel when he finishes teaching the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, you might also remember the parable that Jesus tells later in the Gospel of Matthew about the servant who owes an outrageous debt to his master. 10,000 talents, Jesus says, which is the equivalent of 60 million days of work at a servant's wage. Or in today's term, several billion dollars. How in the world a servant could acquire such a debt, Jesus doesn't really explain. 
But it's clear that this servant has no way of possibly paying it off. And so his master, at his own expense, forgives the servant's debt. He absorbs the cost. But then that servant, after having his debt forgiven, he goes and finds someone who owes him a very small amount of money, and he deals ruthlessly with that debtor, and he refuses to forgive his debt. And when the master hears about it, he's outraged, and he throws that unforgiving servant into the debtor's prison until he can pay off the several billion dollars. It's an unforgettable story, and Jesus' conclusion to it is very sobering. So also, he says, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, what are we to make of these statements? Is Jesus saying that God's forgiveness is based on how well we perform and our own moral duty to forgive? Well, no. If Jesus were saying that, then he would be contradicting what the Bible says elsewhere, that God's forgiveness of us is a free gift based on Christ's death and resurrection, a gift that we receive by faith. At the same time, it is very clear that Jesus wants us to recognize that God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others, these two things are inextricably connected. They can't be separated. We can't receive forgiveness from God and refuse to give it to others. And that makes perfect sense. Because if you really mean what you say when you ask for forgiveness, if you really believe that you are a trespasser and sinner, that you have debts that you can never pay, if you are aware of just how much you need to be shown mercy, then you're much more likely and ready to show mercy to others. And the opposite is also true. The less frequently you ask for forgiveness and the less seriously you take that request, the more likely you are to be unforgiving and merciless in your dealings with others. In fact, that's one of the major reasons, as I said at the beginning, it's one of the major reasons that Jesus taught us to ask for forgiveness and that Christians have chosen to repeat this prayer on a daily basis. It isn't because God won't forgive us otherwise. It's because we are prone to forget just how much we need to be forgiven. And in forgetting, we become much less forgiving to others. To quote C.S. Lewis, those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. I, I was reminded of this several years ago when I came across an article in the Atlantic Monthly. And the article was entitled, America's Empty Church Problem, which was surprising to me because the author wasn't a Christian. But somehow he thought that the decline of attendance in American churches was a serious problem. Why? Well, because, he said, because it seems that as Americans have become less and less religious, they also seem to have become more and more contemptuous and judgmental and merciless toward one another. We live, as many commentators have said, we live in an age of outrage where we all seem to be caught up in these 
constant waves of anger and indignation toward those that we think have committed some wrong. And at the end of his article, that Atlantic Monthly author said he wasn't really sure why this was the case, only that he noticed a connection between church attendance and a merciful and forgiving attitude. But as Christians, we don't have to wonder at the reason. We know why, because we see it in our own lives. The more we ask God for God to forgive us, the more forgiving we become. And the less often we ask for God's mercy, the more merciless we are toward those around us. So let us pray as Jesus taught us, and let us never stop praying. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us.